If it's any consolation, uh, Peter is Jamaican. He tells me that every time he sees me, he reminds me how often, you know, as often as we meet, and I am Jamaican. So there's a little connection there. So <laughs> you are lacking one Jamaican preacher to have another. So I'm, I am joyful to be with you this morning. Uh, please let, uh, let us begin by opening up the Lord's Word to uh, Philippians chapter 4. Um, if you do not have a Bible, please raise your hand, keep it up, and one of the ushers at the front would uh, gladly bring you one. And if you don't have a Bible at home and you're using one of the church Bibles, please keep that. Consider that a gift from us to you. You can take that home and read it. That's what it's for. Um, and if you are using one of the church Bibles, we're reading from page 923. Again, we're reading Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. I'll give you a minute to find it there. Now, this is what Holy Scripture says. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning... I wanted to make our primary focus verse 6, but before we get there, I wanted to preface everything that I'm going to say with, this is um, really a sermon about prayer. I think it's up there, um, but it, it's a sermon about praying. And I want to say that if you are not a Christian, if you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then this is a sermon that by and large might, might be over your head, as it were. And so I just want to take a moment to, to call you to consider some of the things that we've sung and some of the things that we've prayed today, that if you are not a, a Christian, then I want to call you to that place of repentance and believe in Jesus Christ. I just want to read a small portion of what Paul was doing in this city. And we will read, brothers and sisters, about the genesis of a church, the beginning of a church now, the reason I'm making this call to you as an unbeliever to come and repent and to believe is because that's what Paul was doing. That's what Paul was doing in this city when he was thrown in prison. This is 
the tail end of Paul's mission to deliver the, uh, the conclusion, the summary of the Jerusalem council that the unbeliever should abstain from sexual sin and abstain from meats sacrificed to idols. And so Paul is carrying this letter and he's bringing it to all the saints in all the surrounding regions and he ends up in this city. The first thing he does is he goes to a place, this is Acts 16, I won't read the entire thing, but I'll just give summaries of what I'm reading. But he goes to the place where he supposes there's some prayer, there's, this is Acts 16 verse 13. He supposes there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. That's the beginning of Paul's ministry in that region. How does he end up in jail? Paul ends up in jail because he ruins the economic gain of of some um, high and and influential men. He is walking through the city, going to the place of prayer, and a a, a spirit-possessed woman continues to proclaim. These are her words, and it's strange. You see this in the ministry of Christ as well, that the demons cannot help but to worship God. And the woman says, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. If no one else knew what Paul was doing in that city, this demon-possessed woman did. Paul turns around and says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. And the men who were using this woman to to give prophecy and to to, uh, tell fortunes, they lost their financial gain. And they grabbed Paul, beat him, and had him arrested and thrown into prison. The Philippian jail is the place where the Philippian church started. And so my call again to you as an an unbeliever, somebody who might not know Jesus, maybe you're here this morning and you're interested, maybe you're here this morning and you're questioning or just wondering, Um, my, my call again is to remind you of the things we've sung, the things we've prayed, that Jesus Christ came down to save sinners. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ came into the darkness to bring light. And so I call you this morning to that light because without that light, then you are stuck in this place of anxiety, which we'll talk about later. And you are bereft, you're left without that gift of prayer that God offers his people so that they might be rid of the fears and the worry and the anxiety of this world. So again, unbeliever, I call you, I call you to repent and to believe, and to turn to Jesus Christ as your only Savior. He's the only one that has been presented to us, and he's the only Savior the world will ever know. So again, I call you, repent, believe, and worship the Lord with us this morning. But as I said earlier, our main text this morning is Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Let's read that again briefly for us. Verse 6 says this, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by 
prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. So I want to introduce this this verse with with some questions. These are rhetorical questions. You're, You're meant to maybe think about them, consider them. But maybe just keep these questions in your heart as we go this morning. So the first question is this. What do you love? Not who, but what. What do you love? What do you really want out of life? What do you fear? What are you afraid of? What do you feel like doing? Maybe even right now. What is it that you think you need? What, what do you trust? What do you place your trust in? All things being equal, what would give you the greatest pleasure in the world? And then maybe the inverse of that question, what would give you the greatest misery? These, these questions are, are taken from a list curated by a Christian counselor. His name is David Paulison, and these are called x-ray questions. They're helpful questions if you're interested in counseling. These questions help people to think deeply about heart issues. These questions, they're really designed to pierce through the small talk. They're meant to get you past the weather talk and the Maybe the UFC fight talk and the, the, the game talk, the work day talk. These are meant to drive at the heart of the matter. Uh, these questions are designed essentially to force you into an internal struggle of your desires and your fears. So when you hear the question, what do you fear? You can say uh, clowns or snakes, <laughs> spiders. But perhaps the deeper fear is is perhaps loneliness, a failure. Maybe it's a loss of control. Again, our passage is the Lord is at hand. So do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. So when we meet Paul in this letter, he's in prison. So that answers one of our questions. Paul has lost control. He no longer has control of his body. He no longer has control of where he goes, when he goes, how he goes. He no longer has control of of his freedom. But according to Acts 25, he's either in Caesarea, uh, awaiting transportation to Rome, or he's already in Rome under house arrest, at the, as we see at the uh, end of the book of Acts. But either way, he's in jail, and he doesn't know that he'll make it out. Finds himself in a very precarious situation. He's also writing to a group who is currently suffering for the gospel. So in four places in this particular letter, Paul tells of their struggles. So in chapter 1, verse 28 to 30, he mentions that they have these opponents. He doesn't mention them by name, but he knows that they're facing opposition 
outside of the church from the city, city officials. Maybe it's another religious group. And then in 2 verse 15, he mentions the day and age in which they're living. He calls it a crooked and twisted generation, something like what we are experiencing today. In chapter 3, verse 1, he shares his concern for their physical safety. And in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he talks about infighting within the church. This is an internal struggle between two sisters that we read. And so this is the state of the Philippian church. There's problems without and there are problems within. But essentially, every church, every church that has ever been planted, every church that has ever been raised up has gone through these issues, has gone through issues like this, issues that lead to uncertainty, issues that lead to fear and anxiety. And ultimately, the thing that causes this, this kind of anxiety or fear or worry is, is it's a worry of a, of a loss of control. We're fearful that we will lose control of what's happening around us. We're fearful that we'll lose control of, of our families, our jobs, our, our things. We're fearful of that. Psychologically, humans do not like not being in control. So Paul knows this. And so in chapter 4, verse 6, he gives us the remedy for worry and anxiety. He tells us to run from worry, from being anxious, from being scared. And he tells us to turn to the Lord, to run to the Lord with thankfulness. It's a two-point sermon. Don't worry, be praying. I think there's a song lyric in there somewhere. But... I just want us to look at how Paul begins this passage. He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious for anything. I grew up in a King James only church, and, and the King James says, be careful for nothing. I think it's, it's beautifully worded there. Be careful for nothing. He means don't be distracted by the cares of the world. Don't let your anxiety over the power, overpower the knowledge of God in your life. Do not be overcome with this kind of thinking. That's what he's aiming at when he says that. This is probably the kind of thing that David was suffering in Psalm 42, verse 5, when he says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Where is your God? Has anyone ever asked Steve that question? Clearly, there is an anguish of the soul, an earnest desire that has not been met, and a kind of hardship that seems to have no end in sight. Being anxious is, is not a bad thing. It can lead to being more diligent. can help you when you're driving on the road. You're just aware of the cars that are around you. You just want to be careful. But like all of our God-given faculties, it's been tainted by sin, and so we can be overly anxious. We can be sinfully anxious. We can fall into the sin of, of not trusting God. And so when we think about Anxiety, there are two reasons. There are two reasons that, um, there, there are many, but there are two that we'll focus on here that can turn anxiety into something that is sinful. Uh, the first is this. It's, it's me-centered. If you're putting too much focus on your surroundings, it means you're looking for a solution outside of God. You're looking around you as opposed to up. You're probably not thinking, I'll say you're probably thinking, why me? Am I, what am I going to do? How am I going to fix this? How am I going to solve this problem? But you're not thinking about God. 
You're not thinking about why God has placed this particular situation into your path. Anxiety doesn't cause us to look upwards. It causes us to look inwards. And, and that's not helpful, saints. That is not helpful, church of God. The second reason is this. It causes us to doubt God. At any point in your life, you can have doubts. You can doubt lots of things. You can doubt that the chicken that's been in the fridge since last week is still edible. <laughs> you, can, you can doubt that the friend who texts and says, I'm, I'm five minutes away. It's probably not five minutes away. <laughs> you know, sometimes those people are just, they're just getting in the car. But, but there are lots of things you can doubt. You know, even the kids come out of the bathroom sometimes and did you wash your hands and their hands are dry? And they're like, yeah, of course. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of doubt that can be had in the world. But I think it's when we begin to doubt God's revelation and his promises that we begin to approach that territory of sin, that dark territory of sin. And only through prayer with thankfulness can you step back from that ledge. Doubt is also a kind of unconscious blasphemy. It's a subtle indication that you don't really believe God will keep his word. You blaspheme when in the midst of your hardship, you look at all, the, you look at all that the powerful God has, has done and said, and you say, I don't think you can do this, though. I don't think you can fix this, though. And so Paul is in jail. He might actually be executed at the conclusion of this trial. He doesn't know. And yet he reminds the church that God is near. And so they don't have to be anxious about anything. But thankfully, we know a lot about Paul's life and we can see how much he, he, he acts out what he teaches. He, he lives what he teaches. He shares with us in this chapter, in uh, chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So Paul is possibly on death row, and he's more concerned with rejoicing in the Lord than he is with his current situation. He's living what he's teaching to this church. And this is not, uh, and, and, and the church has been accused of this historically, that we have a pie-in-the-sky religion that disregards what's happening around us. It doesn't keep an eye on, on, on the news or it doesn't keep an eye on the world. Christianity is not that kind of religion. This is uh, a Christ is my all in all kind of religion. Paul looks at the threat of death in the face. And sorry, Paul looks at the threat of death and, and in, sorry, Paul looks at the threat of death in the face and he rejoices in Jesus. Paul sees in his death a chance to be with the Lord and to rejoice with him. 
And he sees in his life a chance to be with the church and to rejoice with them in Christ. So I guess that turns the question to us, to to you all. What about you, Christian? When the cares of the world rise up to strangle your gospel faith, do you look inward? Do you look inward to yourself? Do you say, oh man, this again. How am I going to get out of this one? I think I've had enough. Or do you look to the God who says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or the God who says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who seek him? When Paul qualifies the passage, he doesn't say, don't be anxious for these these ten reasons. He says, don't be anxious for anything. So if you're thinking, well, maybe my problem is special, or Paul didn't have to go through what I'm going through. Paul wants to remind us this morning to be anxious for nothing. There aren't any exceptions. Paul proves this with his life. The Philippians prove it with theirs. And and my prayer this morning is that we can Prove that with our lives, Christian, that we here in Toronto, in Canada, can prove that with our lives, that we ought not be anxious for anything. I mean, even if your present situation is new, you've never had to deal with the circumstance that you're in, just remember that this is not new to God. Paul opens our, sec- our section by saying, the Lord is at hand. God is near in your circumstance. He is not unaware of your anxiety. Listen to what the apostle says. Sorry, the, this passage should be heard as God is at hand. And because of that, you do not have to be anxious God is near to you. He knows your trouble. Friends, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so this is where we ought to take heart. This is where we ought to be encouraged. That when our cares multiply, our prayers ought to multiply likewise. Paul continues by telling us that we should respond to all the cares and worries of this life again with prayer. And that takes us to our second point. Be praying. Instead of being anxious about everything, Paul says, in everything, in all of these circumstances, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. My desire this morning is not to reinvent the wheel. I want to encourage you to pray. I want to encourage you to do what the Lord has called all the saints in all time to do. I went canoeing once with a former brother here, Pastor Steve, and he took me out onto the water knowing that I could not swim. Uh, He put me into a 
tiny life vest and laughed as he did so, telling me it was a large, and it clearly was not a large. Um, um, now, I, I, I can't swim. It's a joke with Jamaicans being stuck on the island because we can't seem to swim and leave. But he, uh, he, he, he took me out onto the boat um, to fish. Um, we spoke, we talked, we spent time together. And as he spoke, I heard, because I could not help but think, what if this paddle falls into the water? How am I going to get back to the shore? He's terrified. I think that's a, a good picture, trying to go through difficulty without praying. I I was anxious about the water. I was anxious about the situation. I took no thought to my good friend who was there with me who could swim and had a paddle of his own and was very familiar with water. As you know, he fishes and is weird about it. But I think this is a good picture of of trying to deal with the anxieties of life on your own. If if I lost my paddle, he would help me. (laughs) My friend would help me. Prayer and supplication are are two different things. Prayer is the more general idea of communing with God, while supplication is the very narrow idea of making requests of God. I think for now we can just settle on the knowledge that Paul wants us to pray. He wants us to pray with a heart of thankfulness. We can pray with Emotion. We can pray with anger and, and sadness or happiness. We can pray with worry. We can pray with all of our emotions engaged. I think many of you here have maybe even prayed with tears. But we can pray with our emotions engaged. But Paul here says with thankfulness, with gratitude. Even if your current situation is not one that is, is making you feel thankful. Paul says, if your circumstance remains unchanged, you ought to be praying with thankfulness. I think I want to help you to pray by reminding you of, of what God has promised to his people in Scripture. First promise is this. Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Think of John 16, where the Lord is praying. John 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Romans 8, 1 to 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
hundreds of promises like these in your Bible. But the Lord is calling you, his people, to pray, to simply to trust him. These are just a few of those. But God is saying, do not neglect what I have said when things are difficult. When today's troubles seem greater than your resources, remember that your God owns the universe. Listen to the word of our God. The Lord says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows, knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Christian, what a promise. Now seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? All of these things will be added to you. It's very easy to mix up our priorities, but... Don't think about priorities as much as you think about the promises that are yours in Christ. I think one of the most precious of these promises is right here in Philippians 4 where Paul says, if we stop being anxious and start praying thankfully, then we have the sweet promise that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This promise to the Philippian church carried them through their present suffering, their present opposition outside, and their present turmoil inside. And it's carried countless Christians through the centuries. My prayer this, this morning is that this same promise would also carry you, Don Mills, to the throne of grace. Don't be anxious, but by thankful prayer, let your requests be made known to your God who answers your prayers. Let's pray to him now. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is near to your people. We thank you that your promises are sure. 
And we thank you, Lord God, that you've given us an eternal hope in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray this morning that your church would be a praying church, that your church would not be anxious about anything or worrying about anything or fearful of anything, but that they would bow the knee to King Jesus who answers all of our prayers. And I pray, Lord God, that in that, in that, they would be blessed and you would be glorified. So would you do that now, Lord God, for our good and for the great glory of your name. Amen.